we all feel better. And now our featured presentation. Attention! This is a spoilerific spoiler warning. The following episode contains stretches where Tom and Derek will reveal vital plot points, surprise twists, and maybe even endings of films you may not have seen yet. If you do not want to have these films spoiled, please wait until you've seen the films discussed within. If you choose to listen further, you have been warned, so don't come complaining to us. If that doesn't bother you, (laughs) well, cool. We now control the horizontal. We now control the vertical. This is Better in the Dark. (laughs) How y'all doing? This is Derek Ferguson. And I'm Tom DJ, and welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We have to come up with a name for our fans, don't we? We do. We got to come up with a name for them. That's affectionate without being... That won't sound vaguely sexual. Because you know people already talk about us with the name of this show, Better in the Dark. Two guys, and the name of the show is Better in the Dark, Tom. You knew that was going to start people to talk. Okay, for the record, the name of the show comes from a song by the Pet Shop Boys called We All Feel Better in the Dark. And the reason I brought that up when we were first trying to discuss what we were going to name this was because I thought it was a very good metaphor for what the movie-going experience is like. Yeah, because it is an experience that is better in the dark. It's the only time where you could be surrounded by strangers with no knowledge of who's on your right, left, front, or behind you and still have a common experience. Exactly. And even when you're at home. Now, I don't know about any of you out there, but I know that when I'm at home mm-hmm. and I'm watching a movie, I watch movies in the dark. I set a yes. mood. Well, it depends on what movie it is that I'm watching also. Yeah. But some movies do seem better in the dark. And speaking of being at home, this oh. is a little different. Yeah, we're not even talking about movies in this episode. This was one of the first things we put on the list on our production. When we first put together our first production schedule. Believe it or not, we have a schedule. Yes. <laughs> it may seem like we're just making this up. We have a whole list of episodes that we're going to get to. And we, at the beginning of the month, discuss which three we're going to record for our recording session. And we do it all in one big recording session at the end of the month. If you want to know what shows are coming up, I'm not above being bride, folks. Okay. <laughs> so, what we're going to talk about today is a trend that has been slowly growing in America. In fact, it's been growing for about 30 years. Which is a long time in television. Terms. It's now kind of reached full flower with two shows that we are going to probably mention in the log lines for this episode. Namely, Lost and Heroes. But it's been a thing that has been growing and has been slowly invading the sensibility and the taste of the American viewing public. And we're going to discuss the development of the move towards serialized dramatic series, which was something that was almost unheard of until about 1980. When, if I'm not mistaken, you talk about Twin Peaks. We're talking about Twin Peaks. Prior to that, the only serialized drama we had was in soap operas. Soap operas, yeah. The everyday it was a continuing, never-ending story Right. that just kept going on and on and on. And actually, to be honest, I used to be a pretty big fan of soap operas, mainly because my mother watched them, and right. she liked them. So I watched like all my children. I was a big fan of General Hospital during that period where it was really a serialized superhero story every day. Oh, yes, when we had the Scorpio uh, storyline. Yeah, we had Luke and Laura, mm-hmm. and Luke was teamed up with Robert Scorpio, the spy, right. and Demi Moore. Was Jackie Templeton, Ace Reporter. They were running all over the world, and there was super villains trying to destroy poor 
Fort Charles. It's like every ten years, a brain amateurs must hit every soap opera writer simultaneously, and we get bizarre stuff like that. Yeah. Wasn't there the whole thing, is, was it All My Children or Days of Our Lives, about the secret underground civilization? That was One Life to Live. One they Life to a, Live. They had a subterranean underground kingdom. Like, you see, every once in a while, they jump into these bizarre plots where, you know, they really just go off their nut. And was it Guiding Light that had the mysterious box? Yeah. Remember the box? The mysterious box. And let's not forget the granddaddy of them all, Dark Shadows. Yep. Which had legitimate vampires, witches, werewolves, warlocks. It had long time travel arc. Yeah, although it cracks me up when I see those episodes now. Even as early as back in uh, the late 80s, Channel 21 started rerunning them late at night. And it used to crack me up at how cheesy it looked. Yeah, well, the Sci-Fi Channel. They oh, yeah. ran it for a long time. And it featured one of my favorite closing credits. Fashions by Orbach. By Orbach. Yeah. <laughs> they loved the show, and that was the biggest credit. But that was a show that made Jonathan Fred a star. Well, it was the only thing that made him a star. Yeah. He was Barnabas Collins. He was a typecast in that role, and he played it. Yeah, that show right. ran forever. Twin Peaks. You've actually been revisiting the town of Lumberton, haven't you? Yeah. I get DirecTV, folks, and they have a channel called the Chiller Channel, mm-hmm. which has been rerunning Twin Peaks on Friday nights. I've been watching the show right from the beginning. I have to say that this show, not only do I think it's probably the scariest thing I've ever seen on TV. It was so alien at the time. And I remember when it first came on. See, I got it. Yeah, folks, I'm going to tell you right up front. I got it. But there was a lot of people didn't know what to make of this thing. They said, well, is it a spoof? Is it serious? Is it horror? Is it a murder? What is it? And I'm watching the reruns today, and even as old as it is, this is a show that looks like it could have been made yesterday. Mm-hmm. I think that's because David Lynch was smart enough not to tie it into any time frame. You look at the fashions, you look at the cars, you look at everything. It's not readily identifiable with the time period that it was made in, which was the 80s. It could vaguely be anywhere from the 70s to now. And it was originally supposed to be just a finite story. Yes, it was. You're going to see this be a recurring theme as we go through some of these yeah. series that the original remit was that there was only going to be one story told and then it was going to be gone. And that was it. And Twin Peaks, I think, was right. really supposed to be two or three seasons. And, and it was supposed was to end with the identity of Laura Palmer's killer. Exactly. Who yeah. killed Laura Palmer, which is right up there with who shot J.R.? Who shot J.R.? You can go into the street and ask somebody who... who killed Laura Palmer, and they'd know what you were talking about. And a lot of people just, like you say, well, who shot Jr.? People know who you're talking about. And it was a mystery. David Lynch knew that you couldn't drag out the mystery over a couple of years. ABC, I don't know what the story was behind it, but they persuaded him to end the mystery. You found out who right. killed Laura Palmer. So I wonder if that... But you didn't really... And then Dale Cooper, the FBI right. agent... Played by Kyle McLaughlin, who was a special effect in and of himself. Very strange face, young man. There was some other convoluted reasons that came about for him to stay in Twin right. Peaks. Well, of course, he was an FBI agent, and he was there to solve the murder of Laura Palmer. And once it was solved, there was really no reason for him to be there anymore. And the thing that's amazing is this was a film where they actually had to do a movie to explain what was going on in the series. And they never did. Nobody liked the movie, Firewalk With, with me. me. yes. Because it was a prequel to the TV series, where it detailed last week of Laura Palmer's Thomas life. life. And nobody liked it. Because, first of all, 
you had to have seen the TV show to understand right. what the movie was about. If you were a fan of the TV show, well, it didn't tell you anything you didn't know already. There was a lot more sex in it, mm-hmm. a lot more violence in it, which I had no problem right. with. But it was totally unsatisfying. But for a brief period, about a year, that show was a national phenomenon. When it first aired on ABC, it, it was the hottest thing. Yeah. People may not have understood it, but they loved the hell out of it. And they loved the fact that it continued. See, people, you made a good point when you said that. Now we're kind of used to it because we've got heroes. We've got laws. We've got 24. We've got all these shows where we're used to the storyline carrying off. We, back and then, as we'll find out as we go further on, we'll see there are series that even though they weren't necessarily serialized dramas, mm-hmm. they set up elements that we've come to expect. Right. But back then, people were used to watching the show. And at the end of the hour, the story was mm-hmm. resolved. Not with Twin Peaks. It kept going and going. And you had to come back next week to find out what was going on. Now, there were two shows that came out shortly after Twin Peaks. These were full-blown serialized dramas. Okay. If you look at them, they will show you how the networks approached serialized dramas at that time. One of them, I know, is one of both of our favorite TV shows that ever be made. Michael Mann's quote-unquote novel for television. Crime Story. Crime Story, yeah, classic. Basically, classic. Michael Mann did a show called Miami Vice that NBC loved so much, they said, well, what else you got? And what Michael Mann came up with was, he called it, he in fact pitched it as a serialized novel for television. Yeah. 26 episodes, self-contained, which depicted the rise of a mobster from Chicago named Ray Luca. Basically, what it was was a modern retelling of The Untouchables. Yeah. He took the untouchables, the old rock. And he flipped it on, on its end in that, in the crime story, Ray Luca was the guy with the charisma. Yeah. And the looks, and the smarts. And the suaveness. And, and the cop was a brutal thug. <laughs> played by Dennis Farina, an actual, an an actual New York PD an, cop. An actual police officer, yeah. Who looked like his face was carved out of the moon. Not an attractive man. Had a smoking hot wife, though. Yeah. In Darlan Flugel. And brought nothing less than 100% authenticity to his role. That's one of the few actors that when he says, I'm going to kill you, yeah. you honestly believe Well, there's believe that scene in the pilot. Negotiates is broken down with this gunman, and the gunman's about to make his escape, and he pokes his head into the car, uh, this gunman, and says, if anyone gets harmed, mm-hmm. I'm going to find out what you love the most, be it your wife, yeah. your dog, your grandmother, and I'm going to kill it. You believe 100%. No doubt about it. That's the role that made him a star, because yeah. he got a lot of movie and TV. He was in a Steven Seagal yeah. movie after that. And you, yeah. you're mentioning about authenticity is very important, because not only did he have Dennis Farina consulting on the cop side, mm-hmm. he had character actor John Santucci, who was a heist man. Yeah, who played Ray Luca's assistant, Paulie. Brain yes. dead sidekick. But he had been a second story. Yes, he, he had been, been a jewel thief. And in fact, the, the jewel heist that is carried off in the pilot is one that he apparently did. Yeah. Maybe this should be what we should do a commentary for. Maybe we should. Because that show, and it showed you both sides. One thing that was also good about this show, that, that really set it apart from other cop shows, this was set in a period of time, you know, Just like, as Miranda was coming right. into play. The cops didn't have to tell you they were cops before they shot yeah. at you. They didn't have to get a search warrant before they... But it's interesting you know, seeing how, as the show went on, how the cops became more and more constrained yeah. by this evolving belief in civil rights. Yeah. Whereas the criminals get more and more brazen. Yeah. Well, they had to because the show first started. The cops were just a brutal as a yeah. but they could do whatever they wanted to. But as the show went on, their hands became more and more tied. We see Ray Luca 
climbing up the ladder until he becomes the favorite of Weisborg, played by Joseph Weisman. Joseph Weisman. Doctor Know himself. Manny Weisborg, who sends him off to be his representative in Las Vegas. If you watch that first season, it is entirely self-contained. Mm-hmm. Even those few episodes that are standalones feed in in some way to the main story. Right. And it ends on a very definitive note. However, this was the year 1982, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. was the year when Nielsen introduced a new technology that allowed networks to find out which demographics each each show was getting. They found out that even though Crime Story was doing terribly in the ratings, it was doing really well with men aged 18 to 32. Oh, yeah. Well, it was a guy's show. It was a guy's show. And so they persuaded Michael Mann to do a second season. However, (laughs) they wanted some changes made. Of course they did. Out the window went the year-long story arc. They wanted Ray Luca back uh-huh. with one of the most ludicrous plot. No, they actually brought Ray Luca back twice. Yeah, they resurrected him basically from certain death because at well, the end he, of the first season, he's blown up by an atomic bomb. He's, yeah, and one of the most famous endings of all time of any series. It's him and his assistant yes. there in the testing ground. Right. They're in the house. And, and they don't gr- realize where they are until no, the last... No, but they're looking around all these dummies and everything yeah. and saying, where the hell we are? And they don't realize where we are until, oh shit. Yes. And boom, he goes up in a nuclear explosion. And there was also a couple other interesting actors involved in this series. A lot of interesting. Bill Campbell, who later goes on to become the Rocketeer. The Rocketeer, yeah. He was part of the... Uh, he was the youngest member of the oh, MCU, yeah. Major Crimes Unit. Right. Ted Levine. Famous character actor, perhaps best known as Buffalo Bill in Silence of the Lambs, plays Ray Lucas' other right-hand man. Mm-hmm. There was also one of your favorite actresses, Pam Greer. Pam Greer had a she, recurring role. She had a recurring role. That was after they moved to Vegas. Broadway actor Stephen Lang. It's funny, because among actors, he's considered one of the finest alive. And he had perhaps the most interesting, the most intriguing character arc in there, because his loyalties regularly switch yeah. back and forth between Torello, the character yes. played by Dennis Farina, yeah. and Ray Lucas. He yeah. had grown up with Ray Lucas, right. so he was best friends with this character. Mm-hmm. But he felt a loyalty to, and in fact, on top of that, he had an interracial relationship with the Pam Greer with character. With the Pam Greer character. And even though he started out on the side of law and order and working in the district attorney's right. office, as the show progressed, he actually went to work for Ray right. Lucas. So the show lasted one more season. It limped along. Limped well, along. Because now the stories were self-contained. Yeah. Also remember. Although there's one really, really, really amazing episode, which is a, basically a Ray Lucas solo story, where mm-hmm. he falls in love with a Hollywood actress played by Pamela Gidley, and it just shows how fucking vicious Ray Luca was. He was one of the most vicious characters on TV because, you know, they didn't make him a nice charismatic... He did have it. TV gangsters... He was a thug. ...tend to have the thing, yeah. well, they give him a reason for why they are... No, Ray Luca was in it because he liked to rob and steal and kill. This is his job. He got up in the morning, he punched the clock, he went out, he pulled a diamond high, oh, he another, killed somebody. Another actor we should mention, oh. and someone who nobody would realize... Andrew Dice Clay yeah. got his start on this show Andrew Dice Clay. in a serious role. If you look at him playing Max Goldman, who was Manny Weisberg's right-hand man and becomes Ray Lucas' associate when they move to Las Vegas. But that's kind of a staple of not only Crime Story, but also of Miami Vice. Right. That a lot of people you wouldn't expect to be in a series like that popped up 
yes. in roles. Like the singer Glenn Fry. Glenn did, Fry. He had the recurring role Blues. as the smuggler. Yeah, he showed up in that. Eric Bogosian had a Eric Bogosian, yeah. He was in there for. There was a lot of people that would show up in a Michael Mann show. You would Thankfully, think. Crime Story is now on DVD, and you can pick up both seasons. They tried to do Crime Story for the first half, if you remember, with a new character played by Stephen McCaddy mm-hmm. as the main villain, but it didn't work and they had to bring Luca back. Well, yeah, that's what everybody wanted yeah. to see. It was like going back to the Untouchables parallel. It was like the thing between Al Capone and Elliot Ness. Once Capone is put in jail, do you really care about who else they put mm-hmm. him up because this is the kingpin? It's Roughly the same year as the second season of Crime Story was out, there was another show done by Stephen J. Cannell. One of the most successful producers of all time. A show by the name of Wise Guy. This was a very interesting show. And it's a textbook example of how the networks at the time didn't understand serialized format. It was a show that was butchered. That, like, Twin Peaks was 20 years ahead of its time. The idea was you had Ken Wall Mm -hmm. as an agent for the FBI dealing with infiltration. He would work his way into a crime organization, gather information, and set it up for being taken down. But what made this interesting was that he was an agent that was so deep undercover and so committed to his job, he actually spent five years in jail yes. setting up his background. So there was no question that he had been in the joint. Right. That's how committed this guy was to his cause. And as far as anybody else was concerned, because there was only one person that knew who he was. Lifeguard. And if that guy got jacked, he was shit out of luck. Who was played by an actual Vietnam vet who had lost the use of his legs. Yes, Jim Burns. This was another show like Twin Peaks that, for a brief period, it burned very brightly. That first season that where first, uh, Ray Sharkey. Th- his first assignment was Ray Sharkey. Mm-hmm. Then his second assignment was the arms dealer Mel Prophet, Mel played Prophet. by Kevin Spacey. Kevin Spacey. And yes. his incestuous relationship with his sister, played by Joan Severance. That was weird. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. During that time, got respectable ratings... But then CBS decided it wanted changes. They wanted shorter arc. And on top of that, Ken Wall decided he was going to be a little bitch. Because previously, the whole deal was that every year he would take down a different A different organization. Or in this case, two different organizations. So it was like two 13-episode miniseries. They decided, like I said... They said, well, we want it shorter. And frankly, I think that the whole thing with the male prop scared the shit out of Yeah, that was a scary Yeah, because they were drug abuse. I think they worked on heroin. Male prop was one of the... And they had an open and sexual relationship. I think somebody said, whoa, As much as we talk about how scary Ray Luke is, male prop would make him run away with the tail between his legs. Oh, yeah. Forget about it. In the second season, they cut down these stories to three. Yeah. The first one was a rather lame story in which Ken Wall's brother, who was a Catholic priest, listed his aid to fight against a white supremacist organization headed by Fred J. Thompson, who is presently running for president. Uh, things that make you go, hmm. And then Ken Wall walked off the set. The next section, they had to basically do a quick recast Mm-hmm. So they introduced a actor that is familiar to us from Crime Story, Anthony Dennison, who played another FBI agent. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the Crime Story people show up here. This is the one featuring the garment manufacturer played by Jerry Lewis. But right. So John Santucci shows up for a couple episodes. Mm-hmm. Patrice Charbonneau, who showed up in Crime Story in the first season, shows up mm-hmm. as the wife of one of the characters. Then Ken Wall comes back for the last one, even though it's pretty bad, is one of my favorite storylines in the show, which was the infamous 
record industry piracy one where he be, this gets really into becoming a record executive. Record, yeah, big time record executive. The main villain is played by Tim Curry. You gotta admit, they had great villains oh, yeah. all throughout the run. All, all Sir Simon Nukeway was yeah. his name. He had the goofiest, stupidest fate of all where he goes mad and imagines himself as Elvis. <laughs> and when we see him in the last shot, he's totally broken his mind. He's, there's Tim Curry, who at this time is very overweight. Yeah. He's going, I've got to rent that. It's I, I so hilarious. I've got to get that. It's been a so while since I've seen the wise guy. But oh, and also Deborah Harry is in this. Yeah. Deborah yeah. Harry. That was like a big, because that was her big comeback. You know, And she also appeared in uh, Miami Vice yeah. a couple episodes, too. So there was, but a, there was a lot of that. They going still on back were. Then. CBS still wasn't happy. For the third season, they asked for more. Well, to be fair with them, Ken Wall was acting like a dick. He was. Yeah, time. he was you know, very this squirrely. Was a, this was a guy. He didn't know if he wanted to be an actor. He didn't know if he just wanted to hang out and drink. There was one time that his weight ballooned crazily, which yeah. was one reason for him leaving the show. And he didn't know if he wanted to be a movie star because he did make a movie called The Taking of Beverly Hills. And he also did the infamous Jinx with Bette Midler. Yeah. You really can't blame CBS because they had a star right. that was acting like he was off his nut half the time. So this third season, it's almost all standalone episodes. Right. There is one totally bizarro you know, season arc at the very end of the season, which has the Ken Wall character infiltrating a town run by a paper magnet, of all people, who is obsessed with the old movie Dr. Sardonicus. It's totally just, you sit there and you go, what the fuck is this? Well, they probably could have made it work if they had stretched it out. Yeah. You can't see down the Wild Wild West. They could have yeah. built that on, but that's the kind of thing you expected from the Wild Wild West. You don't expect that from Wild And the ratings have been dropping exponentially from the middle of the second season to Duh, the third. You think? And when it came back, they finally said, you know what? F you, Ken Wall. They introduced a new character, a Cuban lawyer. Right, Stephen Bauer. And they reintroduced Wise Guy in the mid-season. That lasted, what, six episodes? Seven Just episodes? About. Go Went over about as well as Led Balloon. But Stephen Bauer didn't care because he went on to Scarface. Yeah. There were a couple of other attempts. Mm-hmm. Fox, for some reason, was a home for a number of these attempts, most particularly a show called The Adventures of Briscoe County, which is now finally on DVD. About the damn time, too. Thank you, Fox. This one lasted only a season. Bruce Campbell a plays... Mem- a memorable season. Yes. Briscoe County Jr. Basically, it was updating of the Wild Wild West. He is pursuing the killer of his father, who is played by Billy Drago. Yeah, the John Bly game. Although we learn that John Bly is more than he seems. True that. He is assisted by... The Lord Bowler and Dixie Cousins. Right. Oh, and let's not forget Professor Wickwire. Yeah, uh, John, Astin, John Astin, who provided Briscoe County right. with the. He was basically uh, cute with these steampunk gadgets that were totally inappropriate yes. in the old west. But he made it work. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. It was That's a lot of fun. I it mean, had... you got Bruce Campbell, who, as far as you're concerned, yes. I know, and I'm concerned, and I'm sure a lot of you that can do no wrong. Whatever the man does is golden. But he played the role. And he played it. Bruce Campbell is a weird guy because he plays it totally straight, but yet he's still yeah. laughing at the same time. They did have an ongoing story arc that ended yeah. about a couple of episodes shy of that first season. And then they set up a new status quo with him working for President Grant that never went anywhere because they canceled the show. The first story arc was concerning the thing with the orb. Yes. That... 
presumably came from the future, mm-hmm. and John Bly got a hold of one yes. of them. As a matter of fact, he brought one of his henchmen back to life in one mm-hmm. of the episodes. Yep. John, John Piper Ferguson, yes, who played one of his henchmen and proved to be so popular that they had to bring him right. back to life. But the orbs. It was never really clearly explained what it was, but I remember there was an episode where Briscoe met himself in the future, right. and apparently the future Briscoe got a hold of one of these orbs, and John Bly was running around looking for all of them. Right. While he was looking for them, he killed Briscoe County Sr., played by Arlie Ermey. One of the things I loved about this show is because, as you know, I love steampunk. Yeah. And it's definitely, this is 100% a steampunk show. Until, like you said, until they get to the second season, mm-hmm. when they... Well, there never was a second. When they got to the second part that you're talking about, yeah. where they dropped all the science fiction elements, and it became like a straight western. Yeah. Briscoe County and Lord Bowler teamed up as bounty hunters, and they traveled around hunting Julian Julius W. Carey. Yes, thank you. Most famous, probably, he was in one of my favorite movies, and I know you're going yes. to scream when you hear this, The Last Dragon. He plays Show Nuff. Show Nuff! <laughs> Who's the baddest? Show Nuff! Who's the wickedest? Show Nuff! The Shogun of all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That lasted a season. There was another rather interesting little attempt at doing a serialized show called VR5. Do you remember this? Yes, I do. Very With a Laurie Singer and David McCallum. You know something? It had its moments. Even to this day, it's still got a very strong fan base. If you mm-hmm. mention VR5, it's, oh, yeah, oh, they still have an orgasm. Yeah. Too. The next big show that gets people ready for continuing serialized drama is one that we're not too fond of, but... We're going to talk about it anyway. The X-Files. Do, 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 Otherwise known as Chris Carter speaking out his ass. Yeah, true that. You know, this was another one of these situations. We're going to see this again as we get to the next major show on our list. This was a show that Chris Carter came to Fox with and said, this show is going to last five years. It's got this overarching story about these aliens. Here are the characters where you had the Fox Mulder, who was this disgraced genius mm-hmm. FBI agent who was teamed with a woman who was told to monitor him. Because he's crazy. He's crazy, yeah. <laughs> Dana Scully played, of course, by Gillian Anderson. The first season was kind of a Monster of the Week show, but gl- some glimpses of what they called the mythology. There was this mysterious overarch. Supposedly. Supposedly. That was what really brought people back to the show and gathered new fans throughout that first season mm-hmm. until by the third season, the show was a legitimate phenomenon. Mm-hmm. It was like, for a while, the hottest thing on TV. A lot of people, I know it's hard for them to realize now because we've got DVRs, yeah. we've got DVDs, everything. But I think that it can be said that X Files legitimately was a show that people stayed home to yeah. watch Friday night to watch. And it was probably the only legitimate hit at the time on a Sunday. Yeah. When they moved it to Sunday with, I think it was the fourth season. Right. It's hard now because you look at it and you realize in retrospect how much Chris Carter was speaking out of his ass. Yeah. How many answers he really didn't have. The guy was a one-hit wonder. Has he done anything since X-Files? No. All right, then. So what did that tell you? That unlike his, at the time, partners, Glenn Morgan and James Wong, mm-hmm. he didn't have anything really yeah, to, he didn't have to bring anything. to the table. I mean, everybody talks about how brilliant Chris Carter was, but you look at those first two seasons, and it's that fourth season mm-hmm. where James Glenn Morgan and James Wong were involved, and those were like the real bright spots yeah. in that part of the show. And it was so obvious. People, I'm sorry. And I know that y'all just saying, well, damn, does this cat like anything? But I'm sorry. The X-Files never grabbed me the way it grabbed other people because it was so obvious to me after a while that Carter was making it up as he went yeah. along. 
there were individual episodes that I love and to this day if they come on I'll sit there riveted and watch but taking it as a whole and the it whole, was uh, yeah, I there did. are s- specific episodes that are legitimately some of the scariest things that ever showed up on television oh shit yeah do you remember Home. they had that episode that only got shown on Fox one uh, time yeah Home. One time, yeah. yes. That one just the one with the mutant hillbillies. Yeah, that which kept, is, by the way is a Morgan and Wong episode. Yeah, that thing. As far as I know, they only showed that on Fox one time. Yes, never been, The only way you can watch it is to get the DVD. It was a show that I think just outstayed its welcome. Yeah. Although yeah. there was that brief period in season eight, I want to say when Robert Patrick came on, where it became revitalized. Well, yeah, because then now Scully, she basically became Mulder. Although it did Although the thing I liked about Doggett's character was, even though he was supposed to be Scully, the biggest problem with Scully was always that no matter how much evidence you gave her, she was like, no, there has to be a logical explanation. Yeah, I mean... Doggett, he wouldn't believe in what you were telling him, mm-hmm. but he had the mind that said, it's the only explanation I can take, so I am going with that so explanation. I'm going with this explanation until a better one presents right. itself. Yeah, because after a while... Scully's dogged refusal to refuse what her eyes was telling her right. got to be a little stupid. The other thing that really killed the show was, I remember this clearly because people don't believe me, there was an interview where Chris Carter said there are only three things you're never going to see in the X-Files. Mulder in bed with Scully, Scully in bed with Skinner, or Skinner in bed with Mulder. Right. That went out the window, didn't it? You sure did. And I remember that too. That was one of the things that I did like I about thought was refreshing about the it. The X-Files that you had a man and a woman working together in a professional situation. That were and, friends yeah, without friends. being sexual. And I always thought it was really cute how they openly showed he had a porno fetish. Yeah. I like watching porno. And Scully had her little things on the side. Yeah. But they forgot all about that. And the whole thing just collapsed. Once again, major, major major phenomena, and I think that set up the next one, which is going to be very significant in the development of serialized drama, namely the introduction of Josh Whedon's series, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Which is probably still king of the hill of them all. Once again, Josh Whedon comes to, in this case, the WB, with a five-year remit, Mm -hmm. saying this show is going to last exactly five years. Each season has one over-a-riding arc. Although there will be elements that reach into the next season. Right. With a big bang. I was about to mention that. The thing that Buffy brings to the table is really refine and perfect the concept of the chase villain. Right. There have been chase villains before. Mm-hmm. You and I have talked about Remington Steel. There was a character yeah. called Major Discoin. Uh-huh. A chase villain is a character who is the major threat for the season. For the whole season, right. And he really played up on this. Yeah. You find it to... An art form, right? He did, and he kept starting with the master. Actually, I got to admit, I have a slight affection for Mister Trick, who was supposed to be the chase villain for the third season. Okay, but he he did give way to the best chase villain I think of all, which was the mayor. Oh, yeah, I love the thing I loved about Harry Groner as the mayor is that he was so at odds with what he was that he was a total freaking monster. Mm -hmm. But he was so friendly. He was so so nice. nice. How could you not like this guy? And he's just like treating little. Faith as like his daughter and stuff. Yeah, I mean he was really he was loving, he was kind, he was sweet. And he was you, you take those first five seasons of Buffy, forget about the next two seasons that were on UPN. Mm-hmm. That's a complete story in and of itself. And, and it was a show that actually went somewhere. It had characters develop and grow and change and things happen. It wasn't the same old status quo. You watch Buffy, if you watched it 
in January, you knew by the time you got to May or whatever the right. season ended, you knew it was going to be a different show. Right, and you knew that, that the people that you start out with weren't the people you were going to end up. It, it was a beautifully crafted little thing. I do think that they should not have done season six. No. Nah. The, the three villain seasons. Mm. I know a lot of people hate season seven, but I really liked it. Mm-hmm. It really, I think, set up the next one, which is a favorite of yours, Mr. Jack Bauer. Yeah, 24. 24. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, this is... I a- just got Patricia turned on to 24, oh, okay. and I regret it because... <laughs> no, serious, because she, she ran out and she bought season two. Mm-hmm. And I said, what are you doing? Because it's rerun on A&E. Right. You got TiVo. Put on. She said, well, I can't wait. Right. I got to see what happens. 24 yeah. was a rather novel concept, and the idea was each season. It was only supposed to be, once again, though... Only supposed to be one season. 24 episodes. Yeah. Each episode was an hour, and it was took place in real in time. In real time. First of all, a novel concept, yes, a novel concept now. But if you look at 24, all 24 is, it's just a 30 Saturday morning series. Yes. But each episode is an hour, because it always ends on a cliffhanger. Right. And you got to come back next week. And one thing that I like about Fox is that they show the season... With no reruns and no interruptions. Right. You know, they were the one that started what is now considered a standard operating procedure mm-hmm. for many of these shows. Yeah. Which is, you start them late in the season, you go through to the end. Yeah, and I really got to give them props for that because now that sets up anticipation. And you, I know I got to be home Monday at 9 o'clock. And I find it interesting that now see. both ABC and NBC have adopted this. Yes, they have. Because Lost, every time Lost went on hiatus, there were these big spikes. Yeah. Uh, where they lost viewers. Now they're going to go just straight through. Just straight Heroes through. Heroes has got this stupid thing now with the origins that they're going to show in place of Heroes at the beginning of the season and then go to the episodes? Hold on to that thought, Tom. You'll have your chance okay, soon, okay, I promise okay. you. Okay, well, we're coming. <laughs> but, uh, 24, it's a 30 set, especially if you watch fourth season, which was nothing but sheer action right. from start to finish. Although the formula is now getting a little bit tired because how many times can terrorists with a nuclear bomb And how many times can uh, Jack have another relative that's evil? Yeah, and how many times can there be a spy at CTU? But from what I understand, because Kiefer Sutherland wasn't happy with the reception that this last season got, which he should be because this last season sucked monkey balls. (laughs) It was terrible. But they're really going to shake it up. Next year it's going to be set in another city. Okay. CTU is not going to be seen. And it's not going to be terrorists. It's going to be a James Bondian okay. type of bad guy. That's what I've heard. But, but well, the original idea was that each season would have a different main character, wasn't it? No, it always was supposed to be Jack Bauer. Okay. Now, what I've heard recently was that they said well, Keith Sutherland has signed up for three more years. Okay. So he's going to be Jack Bauer. You know, I don't know. If I was Jack Bauer, I would mark down that day every year ago. I ain't going nowhere. I ain't going nowhere. I'm going to stay in the house. I have heard various things. Originally, they wanted to do seven seasons. The idea being that if you were insane enough, you could have a marathon right. and watch a 24 marathon all week long. One of the major characters that, spoiler alert, that got killed last season, Curtis Manning, I right. heard that he was being set up to take over for Keith. Right. You, you hear a lot of these rumors floating around about 24. Concurrently with 24 was another show that cemented this idea of the serialized drama, mm-hmm. which neither of us like very much, but we're going to give it a little bit of lift service. Okay. J.J. Abrams' Alias. And J.J. Abrams is significant for the next show he creates. Right. 
And you know what else that we forgot to mention, what? too? Drasinski's show. Oh, Babylon yes, 5. Babylon 5. Babylon 5. Which, again, is another one of these things. This was a show that... A novel right. for television that he said it was going to be a story of, what, five years? That length is what people latch on to. Syndication. Yeah, well, the thing, because of course. after five years, you have 100 episodes. And this was a case, this was back in the 90s, and Straczynski couldn't get a network interested, so he had to go to a syndicate who created the P10 network. Yeah. <laughs> along with Kung Fu The Legend Continues and Time Track. Alias was another one, and along with 24, that was a big phenomenon, and people started going, hey, we want our serialized show as well. Because they saw if you made it interesting enough and compelling enough... People will come back every week and watch this thing. And then, but they were still a little bit on the timid side until a little show that J.J. Abrams created called Lost, which is almost a textbook example of how not to do a serialized show. <laughs> Once again, J.J. Abrams comes to ABC because ABC is very happy with J.J. Abrams because they made Alias. And they made a shitload of money off of that baby. And said, what else you got? And he said, I want to do a one-year series yeah. about people stranded on an island. A deserted island. This guy wanted to do only one year, but then ABC saw the ratings and said, oh, oh we want more. And J.J. Yeah. Abrams said, no. And then they threw money at him and said, How, we want more. No. Eventually, the they power got big enough. I can see some of you say, oh, well, he compromised his artistic integrity. Well, yeah, if somebody throws enough money at you, too, you're going to compromise your artistic integrity, too. And we go back <laughs> to this thing about there's always that nightmare that this thing is yeah, I mean, you got a hit TV show. Sure, you got all the interviews, you got all the babes, you got all the blow, you got all the money, you got all whatever. But at the back of your head, there's still the thought that one day this is all going to go away. And what if I can't come up with enough? Everybody can't be stupid. Yeah. Stephen J. Cannell, who created six or seven hit mm-hmm. TV series in a row. Wasn't there a period, Stephen Cannell and Aaron Spelling, at one point, wasn't there a show from one or the other on every single network? Nobody else has ever been able to duplicate that. Both Aaron Spelling and Stephen J. Cannell had shows on every single network at one time. Matter of fact, during the 70s, ABC was known as Aaron Spelling yeah. Network. <laughs> Almost every show we had on there. At the back of your head, if you're a fit, you say, well, what if I don't have another hit in me? If they're giving me a check this big, maybe I better take it now. Sure, I could squeeze another season out of this. And you do it. I and mean, the interesting thing about Lost is it's one of the shows that basically took the lesson that was taught us by the Blair Witch Project. In that it's an interactive show. In that yeah. you can go online and you can. there's a website for the Delphi Corporation. Yeah, and, uh, and so called and all of yeah. these other things. There was even a novel yes. published that was supposedly written by one of the people. The guy gets sucked into yeah. the engine in the pilot. Mm-hmm. The guy was a writer. It was all these interactive things that the audience themselves generate. However, the audience well. has become increasingly irritable because... They are feeling, and I think rightfully so, that there's no end in sight. Oh, I'm one of them. I'm tired of getting jerked around. Last season, nothing happened. And I get so tired of people saying, well, I don't care. I don't need the mysteries explained. Well, you know something? Then you're jerking your audience around. The problem with setting up a show around a specific mystery or a specific element is that you have to eventually pay you off. You have to eventually explain it. Sooner or later, you can't give me the sizzle. you got to give me steak right. sometimes. Now, the problem is, of course, usually when the payoff happens... When Dave and Manny got together in Moonlighting. All these things that eventually happen. You lose interest. The show falls apart. Because... J.J. Abrams and his co-creators are terrified that once we do this, it falls apart. Though thankfully they've announced there's only going to be three more seasons. They're going to wrap this up. Or you know what's even worse? 
is that the mystery that they said the solution will never be as interesting or compelling, mm-hmm. as exciting as the mystery that you set up. Right. Because the mystery they set up on the island, you say, okay, well, why is this happening? And why can't the island heal people? What right. is the monster out here? And how did a pirate ship full of dynamite get it? They set up all of these mysteries, and now I think that now that they realize they have a finite period of time, they can to draw these el- yeah, and they can draw all these elements together. Whereas when it was open ended, they were saying, well, we now after I think it was the second season when Lost really took off. Yeah, everybody wanted their own. Oh yeah, it's led to a spade of them. Some of them were kind of interesting. I like Point Pleasant. Yeah, was you the mentioned that. Yeah. Fox show about the cute young blonde teenager who just happened to be the Antichrist. <laughs> so it was done by Marty Knox and the same person who was the head writer at Buffy. Uh-huh. And it was done with that same sort of malicious mischief. You know what I always thought that they was trying to do a rift on with that show? I only yeah. saw one episode. I didn't catch another one. American Gothic. Which That's was something another, we should, probably should have... Although I didn't a, like it very much, but... Yeah, but it was another serialized drama also. The like film this. where Mike Brady is the devil. Yeah, and it's highly regarded by his fans even today. Mm-hmm. And what, there was a whole bunch of other ones that they had to have... Uh, I think we got a list of some of them. There was that year that, for some reason, everybody had to have... They had invasion. They had to have their invasions. So you had Invasion on ABC, you had Surface on NBC... And on CBS was the one that I actually thought was the most interesting, mm. which was Threshold. Threshold, yeah. Threshold with Carlo Gugino. Right. Um, Peter Dinklage. Brent Spiner. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Interesting cast. That one lasted seven episodes. Invasion and Surface both got a whole season. Yeah. Then you have things like The Nine, Daybreak, Abducted, Conspiracy, Drive... <laughs> Traveler, which lasted a grand total of one, one, count them, one episode. One episode, but just like Daybreak. Daybreak lasted, what, one episode? Something like that. Yeah. The uh, only one of this whole spate. Drive lasted three. They pulled yeah. lasted three. Well, I could see why Drive failed. I like Drive. Okay, I saw why Drive could fail, because it was basically 20 minutes of story and 20 minutes of montage. Drive would have worked out much better if they had made it a little bit more funnier. If they yeah. moved more to the spirit of it's a mad, 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 mad. But they world. didn't want it to which be. Is what, which is what I think they were trying to yeah. do. The only one of the spate that actually survives to this day is Prison Break. God only knows why. <laughs> it's one of those shows you've mentioned. It's supposedly a tremendous hit, but I don't know anyone who's ever seen an episode. <laughs> Nobody I know. I wonder if anyone even watched the episode that they packed into the uh, season 5? Uh-huh. 24? 24, yeah. I have no idea. Supposedly it's this big hit, but I can't find a person who's seen it with a search warrant. Something else came out of some of these things, which was that a lot of people started getting a bit disgruntled about the fact that they would invest themselves in these shows that got canceled after three episodes. That's why I didn't even start watching the 9. Because I'm not going to invest... Three hours. Right. Some, that's three hours of my life I'm not going to get back. But then you had things like, for example, Daybreak was shown on um, ABC Online. Yeah, that's true. You got some sort of resolution of what was going on. If you've invested... Because they did do 12 episodes. Yes. So now we're talking about at a conservative well, estimate... Well, Daybreak was a dreadful, dreadful idea for a series. So you've done a 12 episode, right? Mm-hmm. Even being conservative, let's say that it's a million dollars episode. That's $12 million you right. got invested. Well, we're going to cancel it. Why not... Do like a two or four hour wrap up for right. the whole thing, 
package it, put it out. Yeah, it's a DVD set. Instead of just saying, oh, well, it's two two episodes. We're not getting the ratings we want. Pull the whole damn series. That's a lot of money going down. Well, Traveler amazes me because he gave that the Tiffany spot right after Grey's Anatomy. Uh Uh-huh. So you felt that they were really trying to push that one, and to have it pulled after a single episode must have been really dreadful. It's insane, because you know something? They need to go back to the day when television took its time to find its audience. You need at least six episodes to really gauge if people are Mm -hmm. going to get into this. Well, that's the interesting thing for me about how this has changed a bit, Mm -hmm. in that we are dealing now with series where it's a serialized meme. And that's what's being bought by the networks. But the networks are still treating them as if they're episodic. Episodic, right. Because you... You look at 24. You look at Alias. You look at the X-Files. You look at Buffy. All of those took a year or more more, to catch on. People seem to forget. Buffy was on the verge of cancellation Mm -hmm. at one time. Yes. The X-Files was on the verge of cancellation at one time. These shows took time to find their audience. In fact, the X-Files didn't really take off until season three. Three, exactly. But you look at all these shows, the aberration here is Lost, which Mm -hmm. basically was popular almost from day one. Right. They took a while to gain their audience, whereas these shows that are being pulled... Mm-hmm. Aren't getting that chance. Yeah, exactly. If the X Files was on today, we'd never seen it because yeah. they would have pulled it after the second. Oh, well, there's episode. some people think that's a good thing. Yeah, well, we um, go to that. However, mm-hmm. we're still going to get more serialized drama. You okay. know why? Why? A little show by a little man by the name of Tim Fucking Kring. Okay. Called Heroes. Okay, now, folks, we've come to a very <laughs> special part of the show here because Tom has got very strong opinions on heroes, and I promise, because this is his birthday, <laughs> that I'm going to let him have five before uninterrupted minutes to talk about heroes. Before we tell you why heroes suck. No, before you tell them why heroes I think the thing is, is that heroes is a show that definitely learned all their lessons from what came before it. Oh, yeah, definitely. This is a show that's got the formula down cold. It created an interactive environment has good, if not better, than Lost. Yeah. Where you could go online, You they had comic books, comic books that yeah. you could download. They had character blogs that you could read and make comments on. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, they set up mini-mysteries mm-hmm. that get resolved. Right, you have the big Unlike Lost, which is, yeah. here's a mystery. Here's another mystery. Which is something that I think they also learned from one of my favorite shows that is no longer on, but this one still is. Uh-huh. <laughs> My beloved Veronica Mars, where... Oh. I love Veronica Mars. Why do you love Veronica Mars? Because you've actually seen some episodes. Yes, I've now, seen so a couple of episodes. you know how clever this show is. It is, it's clever. You know why it doesn't grab me? Because of the high school setting. Right. I didn't like high school when I went to high school. I don't want to revisit it or... Veronica know. Mars is pretty much, I think, the heir apparent to the Buffy, the Buffy oh, audience. Yeah. The Buffy audience should have found this show... But I don't know whether it was because UPN did a bad job of publicizing the first two seasons, Mm -hmm. or it was just the time slot, or what, because it's a smartly written show. It has a very serious, very brutal overarc every season, at least until this most recent season, its last. Okay. That's another thing I think people thought it was just going to be like a straight, goofy Nancy Drew for the night. Yeah, Nancy Drew for the night, yeah. When in fact, there was elements of of magical realism in it, Mm -hmm. because you had... Veronica being visited by in the first season 
the ghost of her best friend mm-hmm. whose murder she was trying to solve. Mm-hmm. There were these, these other like weird elements that I think would have made the show more popular if they were more no- well known. Well, they did try to, I think, pull people in because they tried to use quotes from such pop culture icons who as also as Stephen King. Yes. And, and hey, you don't get any bigger Kevin than Kevin Smith. Yeah, you don't get much bigger than Stephen King. And Stephen King says, "I like yeah. that show." Everybody and their brother usually runs you over to try. And to Kevin see what Smith it is. actually had a cameo in the second yeah, season, yeah. which you haven't seen yet. Which I haven't, yeah, but I heard, yeah. He and had, so did Josh Whedon, who also yeah, who's a big fan trumpeted of the show. Yeah. Although, once again, when they decide to pick it up for the new CW, they want to change. They want to changes. <laughs> So they split it up into three smaller arcs, so there wasn't that sense of a dramatic build. But the great thing about the first two seasons was that, yes, there was this over-arc, but each episode was pretty much complete in and of itself. Mm -hmm. There was a mystery in every episode, a little mini-mystery that was solved at the end of the episode. But also, sometimes, even though you might not notice, sets up elements that will play a part in the over-arc later on. on So a character she busts in episode two Mm -hmm. turns out to have a significant role in the the resolution of the main mystery. Right. Which is the best way to do it. That's my main beef with Lost right now. They just keep throwing mysteries at you and they don't explain anything. I'm sorry, call me old-fashioned. I like having mysteries explained. That's why I was a big Sherlock Holmes fan as a kid, because Sherlock Holmes solved mysteries. It doesn't hurt that Kristen Bell was smoking freaking hot. Well. But that's beside the point. It was just a well-done show, and granted, I kind of, on one hand, I'm upset that it's been canceled. On the other hand, kind of glad because they were planning on doing more changes. Right. And leap her ahead four years and make her a trainee at the FBI. Basically turn her into Clarice Stark. Yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of sad, because there were some ideas set down at the end of the third season about where some characters were going mm-hmm. that would have been interesting to follow up on. And there was also the hint that one of the major characters in the entire show was going to end... In fact, I wouldn't have been surprised if they had done it with the regular, the old format mm. if season four wasn't going to be solving the murder of Logan Eccles. That's neither here nor there. We're talking about heroes now, aren't we? Well, listen. Heroes. You want your five minutes? Go right look, ahead. Heroes. Okay, I, I'm so sick of hearing about how Heroes is the most original thing people have seen on television. It's not original. Everything on that show is a ripoff of something else. And some of it is more than just a ripoff. It's bold-faced theft. There are characters that are lifted whole from such things as the George R. R. Martin... Wildcard series. All the characterization is basically lifted whole from the Chris Claremont X-Men playbook. Just It just aggravates me that they're portraying this as such an original series when it's, no, it's nowhere near as original as it thinks it is, let alone ha- as it actually is. You, you still got four minutes. I know, it's, it's just, it just aggravates me. What specifically aggravates you? Let's nail down. I know. Okay, to be let's fair. nail down the source of your before people of, say, "Oh, you're the, just hating Tom." Let's nail down the source of your piss offedness. Before uh, people we? start saying, "Oh, you're just hating Tom," I want to establish that I gave it till almost the end of this season with the episode entitled Five Years Later," which was pretty much a storyline from the X Men comics called "Days of Future Past." It panders to its audience. You know why I didn't like that episode? Why? 
because we finally get to see the badass hero, yeah. and we never see him fight. We see him pull out the sword, and then the next scene is just a bunch of bodies. He's an ineffectual him. character. Yeah. I said, well, what the hell is that? We've been waiting all this time yeah. to see the badass hero in action, and we never You don't want to get me started on hero as a character. You no, really it's, don't. it's oh. your five Oh, minutes. man. It's hero your five is a ahead. pander to what Tim Kring thinks is every fanboy that is watching the show. You look at the image that is created by Hero, who is this pathetic loner, obsessed with comics, who has no social skills whatsoever, and is totally naive in the ways of the world. And it's really insulting, if you think about it. And then, of course, what happens is we meet his... And he's a badass, and he's got a samurai sword, and he's really cool. Except that when we finally see him five years later, you're right, he's totally ineffectual as a character. And it's filled with that kind of stock character. You've got... The Madonna whore, multiple personality to sufferer, in Nikki slash Jessica. Mm-hmm. Kitty Pride is basically Claire. And on top of that, it relies on such a great extent on coincidence that it's impossible to start accepting beyond a certain point that this one who was adopted is actually the daughter of this character who's the son of this character yeah, who formed yeah. a group that is very, very like the four aces in the wild card books that broke apart for very reasons very, very, very similar to the reason the four aces broke up in the wild card book. Read wild cards, folks. Really, that is what Piros wishes it was. You should read wild cards in any case. Go ahead and read it. Do you want to bring up because I Siler? You know, no, not only that, but I have heard that George R. R. Martin actually did bring to NBC yes. Universal the uh, script for yes. Wild Cards TV George series. George R. R. Martin has been trying to get Wild Cards uh, put together as a TV series for about 10 years now. Okay. He did apparently bring it to all the major networks and was told, no, this will not fly. <laughs> well, apparently it does now. Well, you look it. at this, even to the point where um, in the last episode it's kind of sort of implied that this all started around sometime after World War II where there was a celestial event, mm-hmm. which is exactly what happens in Wild Cards. Right. Where in the Wild Cards case, it is a the alien, alien virus. Although yeah. I don't think they actually mention what it was that was the celestial event in Heroes. Well, you just they, see the eclipse, but they don't never say when it actually happened. And you know, the main villain, the main bad, Skylar, who is a character who basically absorbs information from you, including your powers and how to make them work. By eating your brain. That is an exact lift from a character called Deadhead in Wild Cards. Almost the exact power, almost the same exact method of dealing with that power. Mm -hmm. This is the kind of thing that is rampant in this series. And it just really, really aggravates me that he's practicing this off as original. Do you want to get to the quote now? What quote? Oh, no, I I don't think we're going to bring up the quote. Nah, let's bring up the quote. The... Oh, I've never read a comic book in my life quote. That quote, huh? <laughs> oh, God. Tim Kring has claimed in an interview that he's never read a comic book in his life, which I find highly suspect considering his past history has a writer on a number of shows, including a show called Misfits of Science. Which I loved. Which I loved as well. A lot of the fans of the show, and I've heard a lot of bullshit from them about, among other things, direct quotes, if you don't like heroes, you're stupid. Mm-hmm. There are two types of people in the world, those who watch <coughs> Heroes and those who don't know what it is. Ooh. And it aggravates me. I think part of this comes from this pathetic, vestigial emotion that the fanboy nation has from back in the 80s and the 90s when there wasn't a lot of media 
geared towards them. Not like we have now. Not like we have now, where they would support utter crap because, well, it's better than not having anything. And that's a mentality I don't hold with either. Just because something is crap don't mean that you support it. You demand for it to be taken off the air, and you demand something better. Or you you, you vote with the one way you can vote. You don't watch it. You don't watch it. Yeah, you turn it off. There are some things about heroes that do snort me off. But one thing, I don't like the fact that now apparently everybody has superpowers. I like Just it. like that time in the 90s with the X-Men where the humans were totally gone from the book. Yeah, I mean, I was so disappointed when it turned out that the kid had superpowers. It was enough just him being a genius kid. Mm-hmm. I was disappointed when Linderman turned out he had superpowers. Right. I was disappointed when Nikki's husband turned out he had... Well, does anybody not have superpowers in this world? It's all part of the grand design. Yeah, well. They throw out coincidence and claim that there's a grand design. No, it's coincidence. It's lazy screenwriting. You feel better now? I'm sorry. It's just... You feel better now? I'm still going to be tense for all night. Breathe, Tom. Breathe. Well, I'd let you get it off your chest. You should should feel better now. You've seen some of the reactions I get when I bring this up. Where (laughs) I'm told, Spider-Man is just a ripoff of Superman. Not really. No, it's not. No, it's not Spider-Man. It's not a rip-off. Daredevil's Spider- a rip-off of Spider- Batman. Spider-Man is original. Daredevil, I mean, yes, there are similarities, but there's enough changes that there is wiggle room. Exactly. One of my biggest problems with Heroes is that there are big hunking chunks of it where there is nothing altered. Mm-hmm. It is grabbed up whole from its source material, whether it is Wild Cards or the new universe from the 80s or the Ultraverse. All these things which had white events or... Lift it up whole and just plop down undigested. But, now I agree with you that, it, okay, if you've been reading comic books as long as I have, and I've been reading comics for about 30 yes. years, is there anything in Heroes I haven't seen before? No, certainly there's not. However, I have not seen it done this well on television before, mm-hmm. which is why I appreciate the show, and I like it, and I watch it every week. I recognize I dislike it immensely, but we've said this before on this podcast. If it works for you, yeah, all power to you. I'm not telling you you have to follow what I believe, which is that Tim Kring needs to go away. <laughs> I hope you never. You Tim, Tim Kring needs to. We need to take, put him on a boat, and set him sail. That's what we need. You, the chances of that happening are very slim, considering he's making a truckload of money. Oh yeah, for NBC. And what, they've hired, like, eight new actors to be new characters on yes. the show? Yes, what they decided yeah. to do to combat those drops in audience is they are doing a miniseries called Heroes Origin, which is going to take Heroes' place, well, it's going to be the beginning of the season. Mm-hmm. It's going to last for six weeks. Okay. And then it's going to last basically up until the, the first break, after November. All right. When it comes back in January, it's just going to shoot straight through. Oh, cool. January through May. Well, see, that's the way they should do it. So this way you can watch... Well, really, I don't have that problem because since I have TiVo, I usually don't get around to watching these things anyway until I record three or four episodes. But I know that if I didn't have it, I would be really frustrated if I watched like three episodes and then I was told for two months I wasn't going to see it. You know what I say? Screw you. I got better things to do in my time. And the interactive trick about this origin miniseries is that Fans are going to be able to vote on which character they like the best, and that person will be introduced into the main oh. hero's storyline okay. in that second season. I got no problem with that. Anything that gets people watching and supporting the show, it's a good marketing strategy. Because they don't want to lose their audience. But They've you got know what? They don't want to lose it. 
If they had called it Wild Cards, I would probably have accepted it. But um, you and George R. R. Martin. Yeah, me and George R. R. Martin. <laughs> oh, remember when we first started talking when it first came on? I said, "There's something nagging me about this show." Yeah, Almost from the start. You well, you know, and I know a lot of people y'all listen to this are gonna say, "Oh, well, Tom just saying he don't like it because everybody else does." No, he from the start he said to me that there was something hinky about the show that he didn't. The first thing that made me go, "This ain't right," is that scene with Hero and Endo. Yeah, where he's talking about Kitty Pride going back in the future. Yeah, but he's actually citing the source material that he's well, ripping this, off. That rip off is such a he's harsh ripping. word. You can't tell me that the coincidences. I know, like some but people you say, can't say how that a lot of it is com- coincidence. But when you take these specific instances, like the Siler thing, mm-hmm. like the Celestial Event, like the Four Aces thing, yeah. where it's lifted whole from Wild Cards, it's a- it puts those. Things where there is that wiggle room where you can say yeah. maybe it's a coincidence, maybe it's a homage, into greater doubt. Yeah. If you know what I'm saying, it's one thing to say that if like everything was kind of just vague. But these are in the case of Siler, in the case of this celestial event. Mm-hmm. Also, wasn't there a whole thing with the, the Black Knight going back in time to do an accident, meeting one of his ancestors? But I'm talking about the Avengers. The Marvel oh, comics. He goes, sure there was, yeah. Because he actually went Much back. like Hero goes back in time in the last episode when, and uh, meets his ancestor. He was, he, he was turned to stone, stone by yes. the great gargoyle. Exactly. And his spirit went back in time to the 12th mm. century to inhabit his, ins- mm-hmm. his ancestor's body. Yeah. When you see those very, but very... But you know what I think is going to happen? I think Hero's actually going to end up being his own ancestor. Yeah, which that's original too. <laughs> From the most original series on television... <laughs> Bullshit! Have you got this out of your system now? Oh, man. Okay, we better wrap this up or else I'm going to go have to kill somebody. Uh, You ain't killing me. I'm not (laughs) killing you, but... People want so badly to like this show that they don't realize that there are some serious flaws to it. They don't care. You know why, Tom? Because they're happy watching it. They sit down... Once again, if it works for them, more power to them. I want to give credit to Chris Rattray... At Cool Shite. He came up with the one I thought was a very legitimate critique of my critique. What's that? Which is, would my opinion have changed if I did not have such a great knowledge of the source material? Right. Okay. Yeah. And that is, I think, a legitimate That's, st- that's excellent. Whereas question. most people go, oh, but everybody rips, so there's nothing original in this world. Then don't go out pronouncing how original your show is. It's all in how you rip it off. Yeah. Star Wars is a rip-off of the Magic Fortress. Yeah, no. It's all in how you rip it off. Though. That's it, because I'm going to go nuts if I don't think listen, about this anymore. People, I'm going to have to go give Thomas Prozac and hit him over the head with a but bold, anyway, bold mallet right now. Both Lost and Heroes <laughs> should have their DVD sets out as this episode goes on air. I know a lot of people are going to be buying them. Go, oh, yeah. Heroes, are you kidding me? They're, they won't be able to stock enough in the stores. What else can we tell? Oh, if you want to tell me what an idiot I am. <laughs> Remember, back when I was doing those X-Files episode oh, guys oh, with Fangoria, <laughs> I got used to getting such hate mail. Or if you want to recommend the name of a good therapist. <laughs> I, I, Lord knows what sort of hate mail I'm going to get from this episode. You got hate mail back then? Well, the scariest moments in my life was after I think it was the third season episode guy was published, I got a piece of hate mail from my personal information... He was going to basically post it to every X-Files group he could 
encourage people to harass me. Well, you know, well, I know. Hello, I FBI. I, no, I would have contacted him and said, "Well, you know something? I'm going to help you out. I'll bring you all my personal information. Yeah. Where do you live?" And I found him. <laughs> Trust. In fact, I wrote a whole story about it called "Baron Wyvern Wants Your Love," which was about me dealing with some of the. I mean, not me. It was a character. Yeah, yeah, but you. But it was inspired. Yeah, inspired by that. I got an actual, honest to god, death threat because of this. So, Lord knows what I'm getting from this episode. If you get any death threats, keep to yourself. Don't okay. <laughs> No, eventually that's what I had to do. Is I had to. His name is Tom DJ. <laughs> that's what I had to do. Is I had to tell Mike Gingle of Fangoria, please don't forward these letters to me because they were freaking me out. Yeah, why would he forward that type of shit to you anyway? I wouldn't do that. I say, listen, you got some mail, but some of it is kind of inky. Do you yeah. want it or you want me to destroy it? Yeah, you know. I basically first phone said, just do me a favor, just burn everything. And you know, especially on the internet, which is as much as I love the internet, the one thing that I don't like is that you have a lot of cowards. Who do hide yeah. behind a keyboard? It's easy because they know, and and I know where you're coming from. Because I've had people say things to me in, in email and instant messaging that I know for a fact they would not say to my face. Yes, it was a very scary, scary time. Wow, hear yeah, that, man. Anyway, if you want to send me hate mail and death threats and stuff like that, that's right. Go ahead, encourage the nuts. Please send a little missive to our Better in the Dark email, which is at Better in the Dark. That's better the letter N. The dark at gmail.com or of course you can join our Yahoo group The Better the Dark mailing the URL of which will be listed at the end of this episode mm-hmm. and of course if you like us or like Derek because I'm sure you don't <laughs> like me it's my birthday too come on give me that much no they like you yeah well that's why I let you go on like that because it's your birthday I forgot and you know what else I'm, that's uh, the best I'm bummed out about your birthday. you know what else I'm bummed out about now I gotta start thinking about how there's no more Veronica Mars for me Listen, that's another show time. <laughs> that's another show. Oh, I sound so pathetic today, don't I? Oh. Please vote for us every month on Podcast Alley so that we can conquer the world one step at a time. And until then, well, I guess we we're not going to ask people to go watch that movie, huh? Well, we didn't talk about movies. Well, we're going to ask them to go watch that TV show. That's right. Go watch that TV show. Take care. Take care, folks. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Better in the Dark featuring Thomas DJ and Derek Ferguson. Special thanks go out to Coolshite on the Tube at www.coolshite.net and Michael Gingle, the Fangoria Magazine. Better in the Dark encourages you to find what you love the most, your girlfriend, your mom, your dog, and get them to listen. Previous episodes for the show can be downloaded from betterinthedark.podomatic.com. Send all comments, praise, hate mail, and pipe bombs to betterinthedark at gmail.com. That's better, the letter N, the dark at gmail.com. Please vote for us on Podcast Alley and join our film discussion group at movies.groups.yahoo.com backslash group backslash better in the dark. If you like our program, please contribute via our PayPal link on the website. Better in the Dark is a Conspiracy Productions presentation. All material is copyright Thomas DJ and Derek Ferguson. Until next time, the truth is out there. Wait, no, no, wait, wait, no. It's in a small blue box at the George Maharis rest stop outside of Marion, Illinois.